The David Cassidy Connections with Louise Poynton. Cherish the legacy. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the David Cassidy Connections. Your podcast about David, his influence on the world musically, culturally and emotionally. Explained by fans, friends, colleagues, fellow musicians, actors, broadcasters, producers and many more who have been impacted by his career. I'm your host Louise Poynton. And my guest today is Marlene Kern-Fisher, writer, blogger, mother of three, and a self-confessed food shopper extraordinaire. Her blog on Facebook, Thoughts from Aisle 4, has an increasing number of dedicated followers, many inspired by her first book, Gained a Daughter But Nearly Lost My Mind, How I Planned a Backyard Wedding During a Pandemic. Marlene has been a lifelong David fan, meeting him on her 30th birthday after a performance of Blood Brothers on Broadway. She explains in our conversation why she's keen to find the British tourists who took the photograph of them together. I'll let Marlene introduce herself. So I'm a blogger. I have um, a Facebook page called Thoughts from Aisle 4, which um, you know has a fair following. I think we're at 28,000 or something. I started with probably two people reading me and you know maybe my mom and my best friends. Um, but it's definitely growing and growing daily. So I wrote a piece um, and I put it up on Huffington Post almost immediately, it was right before David died. And my cousin had said, you know, David's in a coma. Oh my God, I looked it up. So I wrote this piece about meeting David and my memories of him. I wrote, the piece was called, I think I love you, my crush on David Cassidy. Well, the piece immediately trended number one. It shot to number one, which means tens of millions of people around the the globe read it. It was on the front page of the Huffington Post. And I would love to say that it's because I'm a brilliant writer, but it really it was the subject matter and it was so recognizable and so relatable to so many women. What I wrote about him being my first love, my crush and the posters and his music and how charismatic he was. And there was a picture of um, David and me from when I had met him outside. He had been in the show Blood Brothers with his brother, Sean, on Broadway. And after the show, it was my 30th birthday. So that was 28 years ago to date myself. And we wait, (coughs) excuse me, we waited outside the stage door. And um, he was walking, he signed some autographs, but was walking away. And um, my husband yelled, it's her birthday. And he came back and he took a picture with me and he put his arm around me and he wished me a happy birthday. And he was very gracious. Um, I did not have a camera. It was before the days of the iPhone. And there was a British couple um, who were tourists and they said, oh, let us take your picture and we'll send it to you. And I gave them my address and forgot about it. Months went by, two, three, maybe four months went by. And then I got this picture in the mail of of me and David, and there was no return address. I was not able to thank them properly. But that picture and their gesture that they remembered and sent it to me meant everything. And um, it was a lovely memory. I think that David was in a good place at that time. The show had very good critical reviews. And it had, um, it was well liked by the public. And I think he had a new baby at that time, his son, Bo, and things were, everything was going right in his life. 
And I think he was just in a good place and that reflected in his demeanor and how he was with me and the crowd. And um, yeah, so that's how that piece came about. And um, it was lovely how people commented and reached out to me and shared their memories. And then a few days after I wrote that, he passed away and, um, you know, it was it was very tragic. So I remember you writing in, in that piece that his death made you really sad. It's a it's a piece of my childhood, a piece of all of our childhoods that he was so a part of my Friday nights. Mm-hmm. And I was in my little room in Brooklyn and I would watch him and um, he was just you know, all of us imagining he would be our boyfriend. And he just, although his character was not so cool, he he was cool, the definition of cool, the epitome of cool. And, um, you know, the the crush and the, the fact that my name, that I would write about him and somehow in some strange way be linked to him and get to meet him, if I could have told my younger self that would happen. Um, she never would have believed it, and but she would have been very thrilled. When they were handing out charisma, he went around many <laughs> times, but he was also very talented, surprisingly so. When I saw him in Blood Brothers, I, I don't think I realized the scope of his talent just listening to, he really was very powerful as an actor, as a singer, his range. Sean was very good as well. I also had a crush on Sean a little bit, but not not to the extent of David, but he was very talented and very charismatic. And he was probably one of the, I mean, there have been many more since David. And of course there was in my childhood, Donny Osmond and, people like Davy Jones and Leif Garrett, and then later the Justin Bieber crowd. And, but David really was one of the biggest at that time. And um, he just, there was something about him that really, that all little girls and young teenage, young women, teenagers um, felt just, they wanted to imagine he was their boyfriend. Why do you think David mattered? Why do you think we still at our age still get the butterflies and get a little sentimental over him? It's such a good question. You know, since we were doing this, I started listening to re-listening to his music again. And to this day, I just sing along and I smile. First of all, the songs are pretty good. Um, And he was pretty good. Something about his voice that was just so appealing and the words and it's um, I think to go back to that period in our lives is, you know, it mattered to me because, you know, I was lonely in my little room and it was a ray of sunshine in my life to listen to him and to enjoy him. And then listening to him brings me back to come. It's like a comfort. It's a, a feeling of such familiar, like an old shoe that you're putting on that just feels so right um, in your life and so cozy and just perfect and so to go back to that for a few minutes we've all moved on but yet it's it's a bit of the past that uh that's still nice to visit when you say you were lonely was that because you didn't have any brothers or sisters i did i had a brother and we shared a room but he was four years older than i and 
you know, like back then there wasn't the internet. What was I doing on a Friday night? I mean, the big hit thing was to wait for the Partridge family. Um, and a lot of my, the friends I had also watched him. So we, it was something we could talk about, but yeah, it was a more, it was a different time. We didn't have the internet. We didn't have so many things to do. It was, it was a, a highlight. Uh, no, my brother was not into the Partridge family. That was, he was a boy and he was four years older and that, that wasn't, in fact, we had one terrible fight where he like drew a mustache on my David Cassidy poster and exactly it was we we forgave each other but that was pretty bad it was because you would stand in front of the mirror and you'd use your hairbrush as a microphone yes I mean you know you sang along you pretended you were cool like him I wanted to be Susan Day but you know to be near him and be part of the band and I was crushed when I found out not all of them sang or did their instruments it was only Shirley Jones and David singing she was doing the doo-ops in the background that was a crushing blow when I found that out um and then as an adult you're watching them and they really could could have done a better job like pretending to play the instruments there was Tracy with her triangle and uh you know Danny could have moved his fingers a little more but you know I was eight or nine or ten I didn't know any better back then the responses that you got, you'd said in your piece about this kinship, which we all have with one another, a bond that's really hard to explain. It is. It's it's we all shared something similar that we had his the, the records and we watched Partridge Family and we waited to watch Partridge Family and they always had the two the one song or sometimes two songs in the episodes and that we all people remembered you know perhaps seeing him in Vegas or perhaps going to a concert of his and they talked about the various um, ways in which he touched their lives and the posters on the walls and and just just so many fond memories um, it, was, it was a different era we didn't have so much going on like the kids today and those Friday nights meant everything so <laughs> It's wonderful to share this bond with other people in my age group who remember. Yeah, did you keep your memorabilia? I still have, um, I think a couple, I definitely have a couple albums um, in the basement. I think I have Sound Magazine where it says um, all his favorite things. He liked B.B. King, The Thrill is Gone and The Color of His Eyes and his birth date, April 12th. And um, so I, I have that. Do I don't have any posters? Those are long gone, unfortunately. But but the the vinyl still remains in the basement. And uh, when he died, I took it took it out. My kids heard me playing or or listening to it on Spotify, and they indulged me. Um, I'm not a big crier. I'm not terribly emotional, but I definitely shed a few tears um, when he when he passed away. And I didn't even really know he was sick. Later, I, I looked him up and saw the problems he was having near the end with um, things he couldn't get a handle on. And I guess people who were close to him probably saw him devolving in that way. But I think the general public maybe didn't have a sense of, um, you know, it wasn't a long battle with cancer. It was a long battle with something else, but it wasn't... Um, 
we weren't as aware of what was going on with him. So uh, it was a bit of a shock when my cousin told me, I was like, what? How important was David and his music to you as a teenager? I think by my teenage years, um, so I was born in 63. So the Partridge family was like 1970, 71. So I was eight, nine, 10, 11. I think by my teenage years, the David craze had been a little bit over, but um, he was the first person I remember having a crush on, a real crush and, you know, my heart fluttering. And when I still hear his music today, um, I, I feel a little bit that way. Um, I love the song he sang, um, Summer Days, when he's singing it to Tracy um, and, and she's smiling and, and all of us were like, oh my God, we wish we were Tracy. Um, but, um, which is so sad that, uh, you know, she's gone as well. But um, yeah, it was important. I, I think, uh, you know, our first crushes, our first loves like that are, are, are always very important and they stay with us. Um, they'll always be uh, teenage, te- tween crushes. But David was definitely, as I said, lightning in a bottle. And, uh, but as you said earlier on, you saw a different side of him when you, when you saw him as a stage actor. Yes, he was extremely talented and and much more so much more rounded than Keith Partridge. He his range of um, emotion and acting and and the songs that he did, both he and his brother. I th- it was a tremendous cast and they were just phenomenal. And as I said, it got both um, critical and public reviews were were praise were were terrific it was not just because david was in it he it was a great show and he was great in it in it and uh, i came away even more impressed and then i saw him years later just in concert locally here in westchester new york um where he sang his songs just not a show a concert and it was probably 15 years after that or a dozen years after that and um you know, he was definitely in a different place, I think. And, but he was happy to be there and he seemed to enjoy singing and the women seemed to enjoy listening to him, but it was a definitely a different, a different venue and a different time and a different um, thing that he was doing. But I was glad to hear him sing those songs in person as well. You fell in love obviously with David. Um, There was the Partridge family music, but did that music as it has done for many people, open up a whole new genre of music interest for you? I think it did. I think he was the first, my first 45 um, that I, I got, uh, and I listened to it over and over and over, and uh, one of my first albums. But yeah, it, he definitely, I would say, introduced me to music. So he was the first, of course, Billy Joel. I'm a huge Billy Joel fan very talented. I've seen him many times in concert here in New York and in the Boston area. And um, he's fabulous. He's extremely talented. And so, yeah, there have been, um, my musical journey has continued. And through my kids, I I said, I'm now a fish fan because of my oldest son. Um, They're a jam band and um, they're very good. So um, I I feel like I'm still growing and evolving since since that, uh, that time. Did you have any particular favorite 
tracks or albums from either the Partridge Family days or from David's solo work? Well, of course, Cherish from his solo, because who didn't? But from, from the Partridge Family, my number one song has always been Summer Days. I just love that song. But after that, it's a tie. I would say um, 24 Hours a Day. That was a good one. And I'm on my way back home. Another good one. Um, I'll meet you halfway. And then there's one, I think it's called Together We're Better. Um, One step short of our heaven, but we won't stop short till we get. I can't sing, but that's uh, that was. You can sing. You can sing better than me. I'm not going there. (laughs) (laughs) We could sing together. We could do a duet. (laughs) You could do the duo. So that was a favorite. There were so many good ones. Um, Albert point me in the direction of Albuquerque. Um, Just a lot of great songs. It, all of us, we stop, we pause, we smile. You know, people write, oh, I love Dave, Bobby Sherman and Sean Cassidy and um, Davy Jones. All good, but not as good as Dave, but I'm sorry. He wins, hands down, case closed. So tell me about your life as a writer. I've always been writing. I think I started journaling when I was seven, eight, nine, and was on the high school newspaper and the college newspaper, and then took a brief 30-year hiatus to raise my three sons, who are 20, 25, and 30. And um, I, uh, back when they were little, I didn't really have the time. My husband works a tremendous amount. I didn't have a laptop for a lot of years. It wasn't like today when you can jot out a few notes. But once they were mostly grown, I started a blog on Facebook. It's called Thoughts from Aisle Four, um, growing daily, um, which is phenomenal. And I have wonderful, supportive readers, um, not just in my demographic. They're young, they're older, they're music fans. Um, So it's a very lovely group. So my readers on Aisle Four are, I mean, we have, I said it, we have younger people and we have men but most people are probably in our age group, our demographic. And it's such a lovely, supportive, like I could post it's raining. I mean, of course, David Cassidy gets an exceptional response, but they're just a very engaged, funny, nice group of people that have come on board and people meet each other. They're like, oh my God, my cousin's on on your page. And they- chat among themselves and it just it's a it's become I don't when I started I and you don't know where something's always going you just do it um and but I'm much better in the written word although I'm friendly and I'm good one-on-one I'm not really an in front of the camera type of person I don't really do lives and last year I wrote my first book I actually have it here my son and his uh wife were got married in July 2020, they were supposed to have a big 220 person wedding in Washington, D.C. Of course, that got canceled when COVID hit. So it ended up being 14 people in my backyard um, because it was the height of COVID. And I had all the kids living here. I had gone from empty nester to extremely full houser. um, And it was crazy, like trying to reimagine the wedding. Should it happen? Should it not happen? How should it happen? Will it be safe to happen? So um, I wrote a very humorous book, actually. It's called 
gains a daughter, but nearly lost my mind. How I planned a backyard wedding during a pandemic. See, that's me. Um, almost losing my mind. And my daughter-in-law who works for Facebook, she's an artist. She, she did the cover for it. So that was a project that was a lot of fun. And, um, I'm in the process of writing another book, a compilation of various stories. And actually the David Cassidy pieces will be in that book as well, because honestly, it's one of my favorite pieces. When you came to write your first book, it wasn't something you started out with the intention of writing. Was it just something that evolved? Well, as as things were happening, I was blogging about it on my page, on my Facebook page. And you know, the wedding is supposed to happen. The wedding's not supposed to happen. Um, it's going to happen. How is it going to happen? Um, you know, we're, we're having it in the backyard and her parents, where will they stay? They rented an RV and parked it in our garage because they didn't want to go to a hotel and I, they didn't want to come into the house really because, and there was no room in the house because every room was full. So I wrote about that. So I was chronicling it in real time as it was happening. Um, the, the happy couple decided not to see each other before the weddings. My son was in the basement. She was upstairs and they were texting each other. I'm coming up. My house isn't that big. I'm not in a mansion. I'm, I'm hiding in my son's room right now. Um, one of my son's room and they're yelling I'm coming up and it was like such insanity and people love the stories because we were all locked down and it was a bit of humor that people could relate to so I wrote all these stories and they got married and they moved out and everyone left the house finally and I said I have all these great stories maybe I'll put them into a book and I rushed to publish it because I thought well the pandemic's going to end in 10 minutes and it won't be timely anymore. Who knew two years later, we're still you know, dealing with the situation, but um, it was so much fun to do. And because their wedding was not what they imagined, I feel like um, they have something special. They have a book about it. The book got a lot of press. It was featured in the Times of Israel and on a website called Smashing the Glass about weddings and so the book, this little tiny book was like the book, the little engine that could and appeared a lot of places. And I think they're really happy because it made their wedding special in a, in a different way, um, a little bit more unique. And not everyone has a book written about their wedding. Didn't you take that opportunity to engage with local businesses and help them during the pandemic? I did. Did you read the book? Well, it feels like, you know, it's so the, the wedding became a very local affair where it was originally supposed to be in Washington, D.C. at a hotel it, because it was in the backyard. Local bakery did the cake with a, their theme was fish. They're very into the band fish. That's a whole other the way I love David Cassidy. They love the band fish, which is who I got to meet also unexpectedly, not knowing who they are sitting next to me on the beach all afternoon chatting with them, not knowing who they are. And this is my son's idol. And I found out at the end of the day that it was this band Fish who they follow. So their theme was fish. So they had a fish cake and then the local seafood place in town pre-plated everything. So hermetically sealed it and delivered it. Um, so nobody had to touch anything. I mean, you forget in the beginning of it, we didn't know how it was spread. We had hand sanitizer with their name, masks with their logo on it, but it was beautiful. A local florist um, did the flowers. It was very in our backyard, beautiful rose cut glasses and farmhouse tables for the 14 of us. 
and we're Jewish, so they had a chuppah, which is like a canopy over under which you get married, and it was a do-it-yourself with um, my dad's prayer shawl was the top of the, everything was homemade and local, and my son got his suit at a local, his suit at a local um, uh, store in town, so everything became local, and all the merchants became a part of this and it was just such a wonderful the fire we they had a drive-by um where friends and the local fire department drove through and they sat in their chairs and their wedding garb and they they waved to everyone and it was such a special day after everything the tears and the uncertainty and there was no we were checking the weather apps um so nervously um but the this weather turned out beautifully and it was just the most spectacular and special event that one could imagine and uh, my son's best friend flew in overnight from the west coast um to be there and you know he stood apart with a mask everybody was very socially distanced but it was it was really very very wonderful so even in this pandemic we've found rays of sunshine and new ways to do things and positivity i love that because you're being so creative but you're also helping your local community to thrive in an extremely difficult time for them that they must have adored you well they they enjoyed it too i think when the cake was delivered they came back to see the the flowers and how it was set up and it, it became just like um everybody was rooting for this to happen um that they wanted and when they had a fish cover band, a live band um, on my deck and all the neighbors were dancing in the streets and listening to the music and the two little girls next door sat on their deck watching the ceremony. My daughter-in-law looked like a princess in her white gown and it was just really very, very special. So yeah, there this pandemic has been awful, no doubt about it, but there are some bright spots and I, I got a book out of it and um, it, it motivated me to go in a different direction and which is, you know, really nice because how many times can you clean out your sock and underwear drawer? Um, <laughs> uh, so, you know. You said a few minutes ago that you've got your book there. I wondered if you could find an extract that you could read. Sure. That's so nice. Um, should I tell the story? of oh my goodness there were so many funny stories maybe this the one I said um about them not wanting to see each other that week they're very it's a very quick book my next book is going to be much meatier but this is just I'll tell this one because it's short it's called hide and seek is this chapter my son decided he would observe the Jewish tradition in which the bride and groom don't see each other in the days leading up to the wedding it was a fine idea, except for the fact that they were both living here in this house, which is regular size. I mean, it's a lot bigger than the two bedroom, one bathroom house I grew up in in Brooklyn, but it's not palatial by any stretch of the imagination. There were six of us living here in this regular size house, which means it was never surprising to see another family member in the kitchen or on the stairs. No one said fancy meeting you here when they bumped into someone else. In fact, if you wanted to be alone, you needed to lock yourself in your bedroom or take a walk. Not that I ever felt the need to be alone. I roll. So you can see how trying to stay completely away from one person might have been problematic. 
My son moved into the basement while his bride had the run of the rest of the house. When he wanted to come upstairs, he texted or called her to let her know that he was changing his location. I saw them dashing about the house, watching two fully grown adults play hide and seek was somewhat amusing, if not a little strange. After being together for seven years, I guess it was kind of sweet that they wanted to do this. While working in my bedroom, bedroom, I heard my oldest son yell, coming up as my youngest son announced that his almost sister was in the upstairs bathroom. Yep, it was just another day in the life of a family quarantine together before a wedding. The whole book is, is on that theme of different, uh, of getting ready and, and different, um, different themes along that line, the, the trials and tribulations. It's funny, I said, I always said I have three boys and although I planned their bar mitzvahs when they were 13, uh, yay, I'll never have to do a wedding because it's not my jam and I don't want to plan a wedding. And here I was doing the wedding. And of course you set the standard now because are your, are your other boys still bachelors? So middle son got engaged this past summer. We flew out to Michigan for the proposal, which was so beautiful and so romantic. And, you know, and youngest son, he's only 20, but he has a lovely girlfriend who we met at college as well. She's from Oregon. Middle son and his bride, they've set the the bar. They, they want a smaller wedding. They said it was so lovely and not necessarily a backyard wedding, but they, they, want something on the smaller side now because it was so much fun and it was so happy that they see you don't necessarily have to have 220 people to have have a perfect perfect experience where did you get the title of um, thoughts from aisle four where does that originate from that is the best question ever so my voicemail years before i was blogging used to say so i have three sons and they ate and ate and ate and ate and their friends ate and ate and ate. There was never enough food. I used to go like five days a week to the grocery store. And if I was going away, I had to tell them because they would worry about me. I, I know everyone in the grocery store. They're my friends. Um, so when I started writing originally, my WordPress site just said Marlene KF. And my oldest son um said that's like the worst so my voicemail said on my phone um i'm telling this story convoluted um you probably can't if you can't reach me i'm probably in aisle four at the grocery i'll get back to you when i'm done and more often than not honestly that's probably where i was so when i started writing my wordpress site just had my name on it my son said that's an awful name why don't you just call it thoughts from aisle four because you, your voicemail says you're always in aisle four, which I was. So then when I started my blog, I called it also thoughts from aisle four, like my WordPress site. And um, so actually my oldest son, that was his contribution to the family business, um, as we call it. And uh, the name, you know, stuck and I love it. So, and the people in aisle four, my tribe are the best people. They're just a very love lovely, supportive, funny. They make me laugh all the time. We talk about lots of things, middle aging and parenting and this pandemic. And we laugh a lot. And uh, it's it's been fun. I, I put up something almost every day. I was going to ask you if you think you've struck a nerve with an awful lot of women of our generation. Because Definitely. Could you talk about there being an empty nest. You talk about yourself being a food shopper extraordinaire. 
Yes. Oh, that's me. I I'm the best. That is, I can, I'm also good at stain removal, but besides stain removal um, and laundry, food shopping is my jam. But we also cover other topics that are a little more serious, menopause, aging parents, um, menopause. I had some emotional difficulties with that a few years ago. So we cover a lot of topics in aisle four from what to make for dinner to how rotten our children are and um, how little boys communicate. Um, but it's all in good fun. And um, I learn from them. I, I put out topics and uh, it's, you know, sometimes politics that can get a little testy. You did say in one of your blogs uh, that your job as a parent will never be done. Ever, ever, ever. Who knew? I brought them home and I thought, okay, 18 years. So my oldest is 30. And um, no, never. You worry about them. You think about them. They still come to you um, despite having significant others. And I guess that's the way it is. But when you first start off having children, I don't think you quite get the scope of, of what it's going to be. I was really moved by a post that you put up on the Holocaust Remembrance Day. Oh, you really do read me. Wow. Well, you shared the heartbreaking experiences of your grandparents accompanied by that beautiful photograph of them. I didn't know if you wanted to talk about that because you said, I'm here because of good. So, I wonder how their experiences impacted on the type of person you, you are today. Um, so my grandparents were from Budapest, Hungary. And that's where my dad grew up. And in 1944, my grandparents were taken away to Auschwitz, which was a, a death camp. And um, my dad went to stay in a Jewish ghetto. I think there were like 70,000 people in the ghetto with, he stayed with a cousin and an aunt. And she, um, you know, took care of him. He was a young, I guess he was about 12 at the time. And um, my grandfather, his dad was gassed to death. My grandmother had the bravery. She stepped off a march um, and ran into the woods with another woman. And they hid for, for months, I guess, weeks, months. It was also towards the end of the war. Hungary was one of the last countries to enter the war. So maybe things were starting to devolve and the Nazis were a little less organized and maybe looking for them, not quite as hard. And um, they had to hide longer than other people might've earlier in the war, but she did return to Budapest um, uh, after the war ended. So my dad had her at least, um, but many of his family members um, along with 6 million other people were, were murdered. And uh, he eventually emigrated to Canada and my grandmother followed. And then he met my mom and they, he moved to the States. She was here in New York and he moved to the States. And how did it impact me? Uh, you know, that's, uh, I think all the children of Holocaust survivors, um, definitely, I'm, I'm anxious. It, these stories of my childhood were horrifying. And when I was old enough uh, to understand what it was, I was 
properly horrified in my dreams, dreamed of being chased and and what they lived through and, you know, uh, the, the harsh, the cold, the, you know, I went out today, it was 25, but I have a warm jacket. I'm not running in the woods. I'm not, you know, it, it gives me a different perspective. Um, and it makes me realize that we always have to be vigilant uh, about hate towards any group, um, whether it's Jews or, it didn't just start one day. There was a, a government and a person who tried to divide and say, you know, the Jews were bad and the gypsies were bad and these people were bad and gays were bad. And he tried to separate and sow divisions of hate. And, and that happens today. And it's something we need to be vigilant against and stand up for one another and stand up for right. Um, when we see someone being um, taken advantage, like I said, whether it's Jews or Asians or whatever group um, is, is um, African-Americans, whatever group is being targeted, you can't stay silent um, because you end up with the Holocaust. And um, so it definitely impacted me um, in, uh, in good and maybe not so good ways, uh, perhaps. But despite that, my father did enjoy his life and enjoyed wine and laughter and good music. But it was definitely, it didn't define him. I think he, he was able to live a good life, and, um, but it was definitely impacted him big time. And, and so, of course, impacted myself as well. I think all Holocaust uh, survivors and their children would, would probably agree with that statement. Um, so yeah, thank you for, for reading that and for bringing that topic up. Um, and as the survivors are dying off, um, it's so important that we continue to tell their stories and never forget and, um, just keep it out there and keep it, keep it going. Um, so yeah. So thank you. Do you find that though, when you open a discussion, when you put your point of view out there, it actually resonates with an awful lot of people and you get a reaction that you would never have expected. And in many ways, it helps the healing process for those families who were also affected by Auschwitz. Definitely. I I get a lot of thank you for putting this up there and, you know, other stories, Um, you know, my parents, my grandparents, my, my so-and-so. And um, I think people are happy. And I've also found a lot of sites, um, Christian sites have shared it and other people who are non-Jews have shared it. And that makes me hopeful um, and happy that it's not just Jewish people commenting, but like, we're so sorry, this may never happen again. And there really are so many good people out there. We tend to see the trolls and the hate, um, but there are a lot of good people who, who would not want to see it again and who don't hate and who are kind hearted. There were a lot of um, righteous Gentiles um, during the war. My dad was saved by a Swedish diplomat, Raoul Wallenberg, who handed out work permits and they wanted to, um, the Nazis wanted to destroy the entire ghetto, which would have killed, you know, another 70,000 people and he didn't allow it. And he ended up uh, dying in a Russian prison. His his fate wasn't so great, but he was a righteous Gentile and there were and continue to be righteous people um, of every faith. And that does give me hope. 
in this country, we have the Proud Boys and we have Nazi groups that have uh, been growing anti-Semitism. We had an incident at a synagogue in Texas a couple of weeks ago. And, um, you know, it's, it's sad we can't go to worship without police outside um, our synagogues now. And this has been on the rise uh, the past several years. It, it has gotten much worse and um, it is disheartening. I, I know it and I hope it recedes and the people crawl back under their rocks again. Um, but uh, for the moment, it's, it's not terrific. The story of your grandparents, have you ever thought about writing their life story? It's funny, um, someone just suggested that to me. Um, uh, this woman um, from her view from home, a Christian site. And um, I have thought about it, but it's a very heavy subject. And it's a, a very depressing subject. And not that it doesn't need to be told, but I don't know that I want to write a whole book about it. Um, you know, the book I just completed, the manuscript is, is a mixed bag. It definitely includes some more serious and sad topics, but there are a lot of funny subjects and parenting and little vignettes. And I think I prefer to, for my own mental health and my own sanity to keep it a little lighter. I mean, never say never. Uh, I never, uh, you know, six years ago, I wasn't doing any writing. So and now I've written two books. So, you know, never say never, but at the moment it's not a project. Although I wanna keep blogging about it, it's not necessarily a project I wanna spend a couple of years, you know, diving into because it's, it's pretty awful. I still have cousins in Hungary. So when I have questions, I'm grateful that I can call them or ask them and they, uh, they have a little more history because they're still here. So I did, go back to Hungary and, and saw about 10 years ago with my family and saw where my dad grew up and learned a little bit more um, in person. So that was quite interesting. Do you find that you have become in some areas of, of your life a spokesman for people who perhaps haven't got a strong enough voice for themselves? I try to be a little bit on, I didn't set out on my blog to do that. And some bloggers and some blogging sites shy away from politics because you can lose followers. And at first I was a little hesitant um, to do that. Um, but then I said, why am I creating a platform just to grow and for what purpose? And I'm a, a deeply to my detriment, detriment sometimes um, principled. And I, I have been putting it out there, what I stand for, who I stand for, who I stand against. And I get people who can be very mean and insulting on the site. And But the good news is it's my site. If they go over the top or they insist on sharing fake news or, or, or crude or rude or mean, I just ban them. It's let them go find a different place to spew their hate and their fake news. And I would like to see a better world. Right now, it's a little awful um, between the climate and the heat and uh, the COVID. There's, there's, you know, the world's going to hell in a handbasket um, a little bit. And um, yeah, so I'm trying to use my platform for more than just jokes and, um, you know, mommy blogging and um, because 
right now things are a little quieter um, in the states. Uh, you know, there's not a huge election coming up. But before the last presidential election, I was very vocal, and um, you know, I, I am a I fact check before I put anything up. I, I do fact check, and you just can't make stuff up and put it up on my on my page. That's not okay. That go somewhere else for that. What's the current project you're working on? So I just finished a first draft of my second book, and I'm gonna figure out how to publish that. Whether I want to do it myself again or put it out there, and that's a a job in and of itself. And more writing, and um, just there's just always stuff, you know. Like here I am with you, and and there's just it's funny when you start doing something, when I first started, I'm like, well, what's the point of this? I have two readers and I don't know where it's going. A friend kept saying, just keep going because you don't know where things will lead. And it's hard to start something in your fifties. And, you know, for any woman out there or anybody out there, I would say, if there's something you want to do, just do it. Don't worry about where it's going to lead. And, and, because it might take you somewhere and it take, took me to meet you and it took me to write some books and I've been interviewed for magazines and um, the pandemic wedding book keeps going. And so, you know, it's, yeah, it's, it's fun. It's, you know, nice to have a second act or a third act. And, you know, I, if I earn a bit of money, that's, that's wonderful too. My friend um, and I do help kids with their college essays and there are different ways that I can do the writing and the editing. And um, I agree. There are so many, I have friends doing such a volunteering or, um, you know, just doing so many different things at this stage in their life. Um, that it's, I'm fascinated and I like when women help support other women in their endeavors and that, um, we cheer each other on to the next phase, um, which is important. We need each other. Tell us where listeners can get your book from. So gained a daughter, but nearly lost my mind. How I planned a backyard wedding during a pandemic, very long title, um, is available on Amazon. I know I have a lot of Canadian followers and they've definitely downloaded the book. It's also available on the Barnes and Noble website. It's available in the States around here in certain local bookstores. And as for the next book, um, I have a working title. It's going to be um, Trapped in My Sports Bra and Other Harrowing Tales. Um, because that actually happened and it wasn't pretty. Let's just leave it at that. I had a shoulder injury, terrible shoulder injury after that. Um, that's finally better. But um, so that's the next book. Um, yeah. So when that comes out, whenever that comes out, uh, I'll keep you posted. Whatever it is you want to do, do it. Now, and where can people find you on social media? They can find me on Facebook under Thoughts from Aisle 4. Um, that's my blog. They can find me on Instagram. I think I'm called I, at Aisle 4 Marlene. And I need to post more on Instagram, but I haven't been doing that much to make it that interesting. But maybe in the spring, I'll, I'll be bringing more to Instagram. And um, 
And that's kind of all I do on social media. I don't tweet that much. If you find me, suggest things you'd like to read about or talk about. And I like to engage with, uh, with people. What we must do through your blog and my podcast is find the couple who took the picture of you and David. The date would have been September 14th. Um, my 30th birthday. So 1993, September 14th, 1993. If you were in Manhattan at the show Blood Brothers and you took a picture of somebody with a little bit of a weird hairdo and you sent it to her a few months later of uh, the picture of her and David, um, please, I've been waiting 28 years to say thank you to you because that was... It made me love everyone in England because I thought that was so nice. Um, of course, nowadays I would just snap a selfie, but back then we couldn't do that. So if, if this message reaches you somehow, um, please uh, get in touch and thank you. We have okay. to find these people. If you're out there, get in touch with me through the podcast or get in touch with Marlene through her social media. Yes. And so I can properly thank you. So awesome. This has been like so fabulous. I can't wait to share your podcast with my readers. Well, that's wonderful, Marlene. I've really enjoyed meeting you and you being so open and and honest about your own personal thoughts on on David, but also your, your family history. It's very kind of you to share that. I thank you. And I feel like, as I said, I hope we keep in touch. I feel like I've made a new friend in England. If I ever come to England again, I'll come visit you. And if you come to the, to New York, you have to come visit me. I've never been to New York. Oh, my goodness. It's fabulous. New York pizza is the best. So I've only been to England once. We went with the kids for 10 days. So we did do a tremendous amount in the 10 days. My husband had us on a rigorous schedule. And I loved it. And I hope to go. It was hard with our three kids. We did so much, but I do want to, I want to come back and, uh, and, and see some more because it was fabulous. I want to have tea with you. Afternoon tea. I love afternoon tea. It's my favorite thing in the world. They all went to a soccer game and I, cause it's all boys in my family. And I had tea by myself. Wonderful though. It was a little sandwiches. It was so fabulous. Scones. I love scones. Your lasting memory of David. Oh, somebody that could warm my heart. Um, and just, just his smile. I said the, the way he, you know, just, he really, I think he got that charisma from his dad. I know his mom was an actress as well, but um, my memories are just, he made so many people happy and I hope he knew that. I think he knew that from his concerts and um, that we enjoyed listening to him and um, so much. My my memories are just you know, if today, if, I, if I'm working out and they play a Partridge Family song or a David Cassidy song or I hear Cherish, I, I still feel that way. It brings me back. It transports me instantly to, to that time. And that's a really, it's a very special, he gave us a, a tremendous gift. I, I, it's, it's a real shame. It's a shame for his family. It's a shame for him what he he wasn't able to get a handle on for whatever reason. 
But you're so right. It's the happiness that he brought all of us yeah. through all the decades, not just when we were pre-teens and teenagers. Yes. Just everything. And everyone who's ever met him has just said it was just a magical moment. Everything yeah. just stopped. And it was like, oh, I'm really standing next to him. Yeah. Hand on my arm or he's got his arm. Oh, my God. I thought like if I after I met him, I thought, okay, if the asteroid hits, I can die happy now. And my husband was a very good sport about it. And um, I I said, oh, good, I can die happy now um, because I've met David Cassidy and he put his arm around me and that so many people share that same feeling at my my son's bar mitzvah when they we entered i had them play a david cassidy so i think i had them play um come on get happy Mm. and um as my husband and i walked in and everybody it's so familiar and it's just a song that it's the whole thing makes people happy sometimes i i catch reruns of the partridge family on tv i have a few dvds of that and i still laugh It, it was a good show it was and you just loved how he sang um, and his persona was so different when he sang from his character. It, it's still like I marvel when I look at him. I'm like, wow, you know, I had really good taste even as a nine year old. <laughs> so I think we all did. Yay to us. We knew talent. This was lovely. I'm so glad that I did this and that you reached out and so nice meeting you. That's a date for afternoon tea when you next come, and I'll have a pizza with you in New York City. Fabulous. I can't wait. Okay. Thank you very, very much, Marlene. It's been a joy to meet you. And same here. My pleasure. This was more fun than I expected. That's it for this week. Thanks to Marlene for joining me. Remember, you can subscribe for free wherever you get your podcasts, so you will be alerted when new episodes are released. Thanks, everybody, for listening and downloading this podcast. I'm Louise Poynton, and I'll see you next time.